first, this is interesting because it's in the Bible, the first recorded episode of anybody's birthday ever being mentioned in history, meaning secular sources or biblical sources, is Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40, uh, verse uh, 20, I think it is. Yeah, Exodus chapter 40, verse 20. It's Pharaoh's birthday, right? It's Pharaoh's birthday, Exodus 40, verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of his chief cupbearer and the head of his chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed... Uh, yeah, Genesis, did I say Exodus? Yes. Yeah. There, Okay. <laughs> It doesn't help, I won't learn, but uh, uh, he hanged the chief baker, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. And it's all about Joseph's story, the story of Joseph, but the Pharaoh's, for Pharaoh's birthday, he threw himself a party. And that is the first historical mention, the oldest historical mention we have of a human's birthday. They actually celebrated God's birthdays before that. Uh, they had days when they, they claimed for something like that. But, but the celebrations like what we call, where, we, where you actually come and you have a party and, and have a cake for normal people, came in the 1700s in Germany. They called it a Kinderfesta, which means children's party. Right, uh, a Kinderfesta, and they would. They, this is in Germany in the 1700s. Uh, but what we find, so so what we have is a very modern phenomenon when we talk about celebrating of birthdays. Uh, what we find is they kept track of birthdays. I mean, they kept track of years. They probably knew their birthdays, but they didn't make a big deal of them. Uh, people were too poor. Most people didn't have the opportunity to do it. So then I come back to the question: If Jesus didn't celebrate his birthday, if the early Christians didn't celebrate his birthday, if we're trying to mold our church and follow and live according to an early church model of, of, of what the church is supposed to be, why would we do such a thing? And the answer is cultural. We are a people who celebrate things. We celebrate everything, right? Uh, we, if, we celebrate, if we celebrate my birthday, if I celebrate my birthday... If you celebrate your birthday, if we celebrate each other's birthday, should we not celebrate Christ's birthday? Uh, we celebrate birthdays. We celebrate, celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate, think about this. We celebrate St. Patrick's Day. It's, uh, we celebrate, I mean, think about baby showers. Makes a ton of sense when a woman's going to have her first baby to have a baby shower because she needs a lot of things. Second baby, especially if it's a baby of another gender, <laughs> might need a lot of things. Third baby, fourth baby, fifth baby. Do, are there baby showers for fifth babies? I'm looking yes. back at, okay, okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I remember before when Joseph Abel was being due, <laughs> we said, he's baby number six, by the way. We said, forget this, we're having a guy's baby shower. <laughs> and we did. We celebrate everything. We celebrate, you know, we, because we're a people who celebrate. If, if we celebrate everything else, would, would we possibly not celebrate Christmas? It doesn't make sense. And so there's a strong cultural uh, support for this. Uh, now, it's easy to condemn, by the way, the celebration of Christmas. Uh, and, and, and probably we have all felt at one time or another, we look at Christmas and how it's celebrated and the excesses that go on with it and how it's been commercialized and how almost nothing on TV or, or the movies or, or in culture that has anything to do with Christmas says Christmas. I mean, or, or it talks about Christ. It says Christmas, it doesn't talk about Christ. And Christmas is all about Christ. Yesterday we went, 
Christmas shopping, duh, <laughs> and, and we're at Walmart, and the lady in front of us, I noticed she had these, these uh, little, I don't know if they were gift bags, but they said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I thought, wow, that's cool. And the cashier, when she left, said, bless you. And I'm going, wow, at Walmart. Because <laughs> that's, that's a rare thing, is it not? That's a rare thing. You don't see that. Uh, and and uh, we, we don't, even in the celebration of Christmas, Jesus isn't there, and we could easily condemn it. Christmas celebrations are and have been condemned. Jehovah's Witnesses are big on condemning Christmas celebrations and Christmas observances today. The Puritans, you know, the good guys, the Puritans, the holy people, uh, both in England and in America for a time outlawed Christmas celebrations to the point that it was illegal to close your shop on Christmas Day. If you closed your shop on Christmas Day, you were breaking the law because the religious people didn't want you to observe Christmas. And you go, what? isn't that backwards? Well, it's backwards from what we do today. And I'm not going to even say the Puritans were wrong because the, what motivated them? The excesses and abuses of Christmas that were going on in society. Because there were excesses of partying and drunkenness and Jesus was ignored and not made a key part of it. And we go, if that was true then, do you think we're maybe more true of that today? And I'm kind of thinking, yes, we are more guilty of that today. It was illegal to celebrate Christmas for a while for religious reasons. It is easy to condemn Christmas. And they were so disgusted with everything, they just said, for Bid it all together. And the good Christian thing to do, the only good Christian thing to do on that day was to treat it as any other day. And then there's the odd piece of trivia that we all know, that we know we don't know Jesus' actual birthday. And I've read defenses. I've read defenses where people try to say he was, he was born on Christmas Day. And then I've also read one that say, well, he wasn't born on Christmas Day, but he was conceived on Christmas Day. I'm going, how would you know that? <laughs> and, they, and they have these big, elaborate arguments and all this stuff, and it's, it's just a, a, a stack of cards, and the bottom card is flimsy. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. If you picked a day at random, because the Bible doesn't say, by the way, if you picked a day at random, just, you know, threw a dartboard at a one-year calendar and you hit a day, that's a one out of 365 chance, unless it's a leap year, which by the way, 2020 is a leap year, it's a one out of 366 chance, comes out to a 0.274 other decimal points percent chance, you know, that's pretty bad odds. <laughs> you know, that means if all of us in here guessed a day, we'd still, we'd still only have a third chance of any one, and we all guessed different days, which first we wouldn't do, there'd be overlaps. Some of us would guess the same days. Uh, it, it, it just doesn't work. We know we don't have the right day. It, it's unlikely, it's even more unlikely than that because the, the unlikeliness of a day of travel, the time of travel being in the middle of winter. Their winters aren't like ours. It probably wasn't the middle of winter. So the odds become even more unlikely. And, and, and even if it is, we don't know it. So we, 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 we have this, the, the abuses of Christmas, the arguments against Christmas, then there's the, that we don't celebrate on the actual day anyway, it's just a day picked on a calendar. Uh, why are we doing this? Well, the answer is because uh, we are a people who celebrate things. We celebrate things, and if we celebrate things, we should celebrate Christmas. And think about this also, God established celebrations. A few couple months ago, we had Olivier Melnick here. He spoke about the Jewish feasts and the feast days. And, and the thing is, is, is there's that word feast in them, right? There are, there are seven days, if you count, count the Sabbath, uh, in Leviticus 23. 
right? Seven different Jewish festivals. They aren't all feasts. Uh, the, the Passover was not, a, uh, not the Passover itself. The Day of Atonement was not a feast. The Day of Atonement was a day of solemn congregation, of getting together, of being solemn and serious. Uh, it was a day of deprivation. It was not a feast day. But the others, we have the Feast of Passover. When Jews get together and celebrate the Passover, they celebrate the Seder, S-E-D-E-R, celebrate that meal. It's a feast. It's, it's a a feast, the feast of first fruits, the feast of weeks, the feast of trumpets, the feast of booths. They're all called feasts. Why? Because they're feasts, right? They are about getting together and eating and celebrating and having a good time. Two days have been added to that since that time. Hanukkah, the celebration, the Feast of Lights or the Festival of Lights, uh, it's, it's been compared to Christmas, but only because the Jews needed something to compete with Christmas, so they boosted Hanukkah in the celebration. But it was a day of celebrating, a day of giving gifts, a day of telling stories. And Purim, which comes out of Esther, and is a day of celebration and of giving gifts and of... And, and of and and we find celebrations. The Bible is full of celebrations. God wants his people to celebrate things. Uh, and so if God established celebrate, celebrations, it's because he wants us to celebrate what he is doing. And Christmas is a fantastic time. I know it's not like I need to convince you to celebrate Christmas. At least I don't think. Uh, but it makes sense. That's reason number one. Why do we celebrate? The cultural question is, is it is right. It is right because we are a people who celebrate things and we should celebrate Christ and, and, and his, his coming. The next question is a biblical question. And like I said, uh, the Bible doesn't talk about Christmas as in celebrating Jesus' birthday, but it does talk an awful lot about Jesus and who he is and why we should celebrate him. So I have some Old Testament answers first. Going back to Genesis, uh, uh, Genesis 22, uh, Genesis 22, Moses is on the, what, the mount called Mount Moriah. Some people think it was the Temple Mount where Jesus was later crucified. Uh, we don't know that for sure. But it's where Abraham has gone up on the mountain and he's going to sacrifice Isaac. And he gets Isaac and he ties him up and he's on the altar and Abraham has got the knife raised and he's about to sacrifice Isaac. Genesis 22, verses 13 and 14. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Uh, the Lord will provide, as it is said on that day, the Lord, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Right? The Lord will provide. Abraham did not have to sacrifice his son. The Lord will provide the sacrifice that needs to be made. Right? And we find, why do we celebrate? Because the Lord is providing uh, the, the thing we need. Job chapter 19. It's not a Christmas verse. It's not one you would normally think of with Christmas. But it talks about who Jesus is and what he will do. Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. I love this passage. I, I love it for among other reasons that Job is such a, a, an ancient setting. This is before any of the other Bible had been written that somehow Job knew the answer. 
He says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. And then he concludes that thought, the emotion of that, with my heart faints within me. It's too much. I can't take that all in. And, you know, we read the words easily, but we dwell on them like Job had to be dwelling on them at that moment. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. Job was in a situation where he was, he was all but dead. He had lost everything of any value to him, including all his children. And he's weighed down with sores. And these friends who are telling him he's being punished for sins that he's done, uh, they're accusing him falsely of things that he's done. And he, he looks, and in the midst of all this horrible suffering and persecution that he's enduring, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. Though he slay me, I will see him with my eyes. Uh, my eyes and not another. And, and uh, he sees Jesus coming. Isaiah, we start getting more uh, obviously Christian. Isaiah chapter 7. There's actually two passages in Isaiah we're going to look at. Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This will be familiar. You'll, you'll recognize this verse. Therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And he doesn't say it here. In Matthew, he quotes the same verse, and we'll look at that. And it adds, which is God with us. And so he promises a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and we shall call him God with us. And so we get very more, much more specific. And then Isaiah chapter 9, just a page to the right. Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I think more than once I've preached this passage in a, as a series for Christmas, and I don't like to preach the same thing because I don't want to look at my old notes because I want to always be fresh, but I want to preach this passage every year. I want to preach this passage every year. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you look at the two middle ones, Mighty God and Everlasting Father, and those are titles that only apply to the God of Gods. And you look at the other two, Wonderful Counselor and Prince of Peace, and we find those apply to, to I mean, Wonderful Counselor could apply to God, but Prince of Peace cannot. It can't. God's a king. He's not a prince, right? Uh, and, and, but it has to apply to someone else. And we find the humanity and the deity of, of God wrapped up in one being. The humanity, the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ wrapped up in one being in this prophecy. And, and it's a powerful, powerful prophecy. And, and we, see, we see this Christmas message before, uh, before he's born. And then Micah 5, verse 2, it's another... Uh, Christmas card passage. It's the one where we get bound up around here because we aren't sure how to pronounce Ephrathah and we want to call it Ephrata. <laughs> right? Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for, for me, one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. And it, it gives us that prophecy of 
that leads into a little town of Bethlehem. Uh, and uh, it is Bethlehem where Christ is going to come from. The one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. And so why do we celebrate the biblical question? Because this one is coming. Imagine, you know, when, when this builds. This is building. It's pointing towards the arrival of Christ. And by the time comes, the world should be on the point of bursting with joy and expectation. And they're not. I mean, if not the whole world, at least the, the, the Israelites should be bursting forth with joy and expectation as they anticipate the coming of this one. Daniel gave us a timeline. I didn't go there because it gets too complicated when you go there. But he gave us a timeline that pointed right to that time. And people should have been looking for it and waiting for it in expectation. And instead, three wise men show up and he, they say, hey, where's the king who's born? And the people go, what? They go, what? They should have been, they should have been so laser focused on this, but, but they weren't. So we go to the New Testament answers, and first of all, the obvious ones. And just as we work from more vague to, to more obvious, we're going to start with the more obvious, and they don't get vaguer as we move out. Is vaguer a word? Um, Matthew 1, 22 and 23, but they get a little bit more distant from the birth. Matthew 1, verses 21 through 23. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the very, very name Jesus means Savior. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he interprets it for us here so that we may, don't miss uh, that, what that name Emmanuel me, me, means. And they might have missed it themselves because Emmanuel is a Hebrew word and the people mostly spoke uh, Greek or Aramaic at that time. And so they could have lost it. He doesn't want them to lose it. He doesn't want them to lose it. And, and so we have the benefit of reaping from that, that we never get moved away from that his very name that he's called means Savior. And he is called Emmanuel, which is God with us, our Savior, God with us. The virgin conceived and bore a son. Matthew 2, verses 10 and 11, we have uh, the wise men arriving. They have arrived and they find, this is our scripture reading. Um, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we find the wise men who have traveled from afar, arriving at Bethlehem to give Jesus gifts. And we find the, the, the celebration. that it is, This is the closest thing. That them and the shepherds, the shepherds got there first, but they're the closest thing to a Christmas celebration that we ever find uh, in the Bible. We find that in Luke, by the way. First we find uh, Luke where uh, he is, Jesus is promised or uh, predicted, prophesied. The angel speaks to Mary and tells Mary about uh, the, ba the baby, the baby she's going to have, who the baby will be. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We have this amazing prophecy of Jesus Christ, who he is and who he will be. It's, except it's, it's a prophecy... I mean, this, you know, the, the other prophecies, when we had that line in, in Genesis, that was a 1,400-year prophecy. 
When we get to Isaiah, it's a 700-year prophecy. When we get to Micah, it's a 500-year prophecy or a 600-year prophecy. When we get to Mary, it's a nine-month prophecy. <laughs> Things are moving a little bit closer. And then we move on just a little bit farther to Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. These poor shepherds out in the field, minding their own business, watching their sheep, good shepherds, on the job, doing their due diligence. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds came out from hiding. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. <laughs> the shepherds said to one another, Let us go see this thing that has happened. And they ran down and found the baby Jesus who was just born. Uh, and, and the glory to God in the highest. So we start recognizing how we are to respond to, to what, what this message. We are to respond with praise, glory to God. It's a time of celebrating. Now the next two passages I want to go to are not about Christmas, but they're about the giving of this baby, who this baby is. The first is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. If you're not familiar with Philippians 2, you should become familiar with Philippians 2. It's one of the most... This and first, or Colossians 1, where we're going next, are two of the most powerful, uh, clear pictures of, of Jesus Christ that we find in Scripture. Starting at verse 5, Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so stopping right there real quickly, just so you don't miss it, when it says the form of God, that sounds weak. Like, what does form of God mean? Is it kind of an abstract term? What does it mean? Is he God-like? Is it something like that? But then it says he took on the form of a servant, and it's the same word. Jesus didn't become something man-like. He became man. In the same way form, when it talks about him being man took on the form of a man. It's also describing who he was before. He wasn't just something God-like. He was God. He was in very nature God. Everything about him was God, and he gave that up. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, on a, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory and praise of God the Father. And we find him humbling himself uh, to death, even death on a cross. Uh, therefore God gives him the name that is above every name, and we find God himself becoming human, taking on human form uh, so that he could suffer and die for us. Uh, he, is, he, is, uh, he emptied himself. That's, that's one of the greatest mysteries of, of, of the Bible, is what happened? How did God empty himself? What happened when God emptied himself? What did that mean? Who was Jesus walking around on this earth? What could he do? What did he have the ability to do? What did he give up for us? 
And I'm thinking in terms of what he gave up there, dying on a cross, might not be that huge a deal. The step from God to man might be bigger than from man to death. It's, it's incredible what he did for us. And then Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 20. An awesome passage describing what Jesus did and who Jesus is. It says, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is, right? The one who gave us this redemption, the one who is the beloved Son of God, the one who, who has delivered us from the darkness of domain, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Wow. <laughs> That's a pretty amazing Savior we have. Uh, he is an amazing God. Uh, New Testament answers to why do we celebrate? You want a biblical answer? Because he is worth celebrating. Because when we look at this God, this Savior, and what he did for us, uh, what do you, how, should we respond to this with gloomy faces? Yea, verily, we shall be religious about this and somber. <laughs> it's, it's absurd. It's absurd that we would respond to this without joy, without celebrating. We must respond with joy to this gift that God has given. And then there's the personal question. There's that Savior word that we're talking about. Why should I celebrate Jesus' birth? I think, I hope you have the same answer I do. Because he saved me. He saved me. Right? I love Mike Anderson's shirt. It says, I am the wretch they sing about. <laughs> it's an awesome shirt. He saved me. Should I not celebrate him? Right? If by any chance you're here listening to this and you have not chosen Jesus Christ as your Savior then go get drunk at Christmas, right? Go have a big party, spend a lot of money on gifts, and let that be the extent of your Christmas because that's all it can mean to you. But the rest of us, we're celebrating the birth of our Savior. He died for my sins. He came for my sins. This is my God we're talking about. I mean, this is my Savior. This is my God. This is, is not some distant, impersonal event. This is not some new prince born in England for which they do more, waste more American TV time. Than <laughs> you go, why do that? I'm not British. <laughs> my ancestors were British. They left. <laughs> <laughs> British, Irish, and Scottish, you can take your pick, but uh, this is a celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. 
He is the cause of my personal joy. And I will celebrate, right? And I hope and trust, I'm speaking for each one of us, we will celebrate. This Christmas, Jesus Christ, we will celebrate his birth. What and why of Christmas? It, what it is, it is the celebration of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he matters to us. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the tremendous gift you gave us of coming to this world for us. I praise you for your goodness. I ask you to, to, to give us blessings this Christmas. Let us not get lost in the, in the peripheral things. Let us not get lost in the paraphernalia and the wrapping, but let us find Jesus Christ and celebrate your birth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.